You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 91, Rescue and the Stages of Change. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, great to be back with you. And today we are going to tackle a topic I don't think we've really ever talked about in any depth, if at all, on the show before, which is the rescue process and how the stages of change fall into that. And this is one of those things that I think a lot of times we like to oversimplify in our minds and package it all up in a really nice bow and 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 believe that there's a happy ending to every story. And while there often is a happy ending if we do things well, there's a long journey in getting there. And so today we're going to explore that in some detail. Well, we understand already We've talked about the fact that rescue is the beginning of a very long process. It's not the end of the story. And so often there's kind of a misconception about the the lines of rescue. It's breaking down the door, getting them out, and taking them to a shelter in the area, especially of commercial sexual exploitation as sex trafficking. And so understanding the stages of change will help you begin to understand why we say it's a long process. Many times people have worked with victims for years will tell us that we, we should, you should plan a couple of years of working with someone who has just been rescued or has just exited the life. That's the idea of of being involved in commercial sexual exploitation. And so I think one of the myths that we want to look at in this episode is the myth that someone's rescued from an awful situation and that they're good and everything's all set because they've been taken out of that situation. And the reality is is that's an important first step but the process is much more substantial than that. And that is just one, perhaps very visible, but one small piece of the process of restoring someone back into having a life of contribution and happiness and being able to deal with what's happened to them at the same time. Well, and we've we've um, talked about when when especially here in Orange County, girls have been rescued, picked up by our task force law enforcement, and then they are sitting in the district attorney's office where their case is going to be um, prosecuted for the trafficker. And and you have um, very uncooperative witnesses who are saying, you know, I'm good with the way things are, and um, I I don't want your help. Those kinds of things. So. What? Where is that happening? And you know, Dave, um, a year or so ago, we had Harmony Dust, who mm-hmm. um, we interviewed, and she talked about doing outreach in clubs and on the street, and that building relationships because uh, people 
it wasn't easy to just move to, I'm going to be somebody else. I'm going to do something different. So the stages of change is a way of of looking at this. And I'm just going to list the stages and you can think of it as a, as a cycle with a beginning and um, and then you just keep going back around and sometimes you take a step forward, two steps back. Um, this is the kind of, of process that we want to talk about. So the first, first stage is pre-contemplation. And you may not even acknowledge that you have a problem that needs to be changed. So those girls that are just um, swooped out of a motel or off the street may be very argumentative. I don't have a problem. So they haven't even started to ch- figure out how they're going to change. And then the second cycle um, step is contemplation. They might acknowledge they have a problem, but they're not really sure that about how or what or if um, they can make a change. That may not be logical to me and you, but it may be very logical to them. You rescue them from... Um, a group where this is their pseudo family, and now you're going to take them where they yeah. don't have a family. So this this contemplation now they're going to start thinking about it. And Sandy, can I just clarify one point? You uh, you said um, acknowledging that they have a problem. I, I think what we mean is the situation that they're in, of course, and that you know many of them have been forced into and coursed into not necessarily that they themselves are the are the problem but that they right. they're in this situation that's a problem situation and they recognize that this is maybe not somewhere I want to stay. Well, and and before they recognize that, they're going to say things um and we know some of the terminology the girls will call the pimp daddy. So they'll say things like I love my daddy. He takes care of me and I'm good with the way things are and I make money doing what other people give away for free. That's mm. shocking for us. We, we, that, how do they accommodate to that as normal? Uh, so they may not even see the need for change. Now, let's take this to me and you, and let's walk into the kitchen, and somebody was, they, we had a potluck last night, and there's bags of tortilla chips and potato chips and salsa and guacamole. I know eating those things is bad for me, but they're so can be, I, 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 I don't even stop and think about it sometimes. And mm. I want to change. I move into the second, the second um, phase of contemplation. Of contemplation yeah. But then I have to get ready. The third phase is preparation. I have to get ready. So uh. once she starts thinking that she might want to make a change, yeah, this is not going to be a good way to live the rest of my life. But how do I get out? How do I get out and sustain myself? How do I get out, have a place to live? How do I get out and go on with my life? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And I don't want them to know. So how do I leave that? Well, that's when you enter the preparation phase. And when you enter the preparation phase, first thing has to happen is you actually make a commitment to make a change. So if I'm going to give up guacamole and tortilla chips, um, I'm not going to be buying them. I'm going to start preparing um, just by uh, some of the action steps that I take in everyday life. And preparation also means 
that you start thinking about what it's going to be like when. So um, back to my tortilla and guacamole. Do you know how much I love tortilla chips and guacamole? When I'm preparing to not have those additional calories in my life, one of the things that motivates me is I start thinking about how much better my clothes are going to fit. Hmm. So I look into the future. So, um, uh, a so victim, you're visualizing yeah, what the future will look like in a positive way. Like. So, yeah. so um, a victim preparing to leave is going to start things, saying things like, I would really like to finish school. Or um, I want to leave, but I have to save some money first. So there's this idea of, of making a plan to get out. Mm. Um, maybe that means they're stashing money that they normally, and there's a risk in that if the pimp finds out. We've, we've talked about the violence of that culture. Um, they're actually looking for housing and shelter options. They may, so someone like Harmony that goes out and develops relationships may have some of the pieces of this preparation as an offer. Here's a place where you can stay Here's some job training so you can get a part-time job. Those are the pieces of preparation. And I think it's important for us to also acknowledge that our society isn't really big on this, Sandy, as we think like, okay, we need to make a change. Let's change and let's do it and take action immediately. And sometimes for many of us is we don't necessarily think through, visualize, and change our thinking in such a way which is then going to make that action and that change sustainable is, mm. is okay, I'm not just going to bounce back to doing what I was doing before, whether it be our eating habits or how we're thinking about our lives or the careers that we're in, or in this situation, obviously, you know, a very difficult situation as a, as a victim of trafficking, how do I keep from going back to a situation that I was in and uh, and that that preparation time is is pretty key in that of 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 really making that a very impactful process. Oh, I really agree. And when you say that, then you kind of set us up for another question where you and I, because for me, I just want to get her out of there. I want her to be safe. I don't want people abusing her body, exploiting her or him, boys mm-hmm. and and adults. Um, but if I if I break them out too soon and they aren't ready and they don't have the ability to go to the next stage of change, am I setting them up for failure? You know, it takes me back to that old illustration from um, biology class of the butterfly cocoon. If you don't let the butterfly um, beat its wings against the cocoon and break out on its own. And if you open the cocoon for them, um, they can't fly because there's no there's no circulation in their wings. Interesting. And the struggle uh, and is part of the process. I'm not good with that. I just want to drive the bus up there, load everybody on, take them to the shelter. And now we have great statistics. We rescued how many people fit on the bus? 55 but it doesn't work that way. It's much more complicated, much more messy. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Sandy, and this this gets to a core message I think that we have hit on in almost every episode, which is 
good intent intention does not equal impact. So good mm. intention does not yeah. mean that you made a positive impact in a situation. I think o- almost everyone who goes into a situation like this and rescues victims intentions are really good. But the impact isn't always positive because you just said it. You know, we think about the short-term things like let's get people out of this situation, but we're not thinking about the broader perspective around this of it's not just about the external change it's also about the internal transition for the person and are they ready for that and have we given them the tools and resources to be ready to make that transition on their own otherwise it's not going to be sustainable and you're going to go to um well we'll get to that part of it but after preparation then they actually take the action Mm -hmm. step and when when they take that action step they they literally leave the life and they're going to start saying things like i'm so glad i left but i don't understand i'm i'm so angry at how he exploited me but i miss him mm. and they're going to say um things like i'm i'm going to go to college and i'm going to get a good job and then they're also going to say it's so hard and it's taking so long to get everything together and and Dave you and I even even with um having really privileged lives we still face struggle struggles where we're like how am i going to get this all together mm-hmm. oh yeah can you imagine doing that straight from um taking this kind of a step to leave such an abusive horrible exploitative life i i can't I really can't. It's it's so hard for me to imagine being in that situation, and which is why I think this us all knowing this model is so important. Because I think that if we know this model and we understand it and we appreciate it, it gives people a chance to be able to move on from that and to transition in a successful way. But I I, I think that if we don't use this model well and we just think short term, I don't. I, the forces are so powerful against people. I don't think we give them the right tools and resources to be able to make that transition. Well, and if you're a volunteer or a social worker or a case manager, and you hear a girl who you have invested in saying, um, you know, I called, I called my pimp. Um, I just wanted to see how he was. And, and now then you're looking at this girl and you're thinking, we've spent six months getting you out of here and now you're calling him. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah. Um, if I don't understand this, these cycles and stages of change, uh, I can become very judgmental. Well, what's that going to do? That's going to uh, build a barrier, shut a door, and and then I'm not going to be part of having that conversation because um, she'll be intimidated to share what she's thinking and to be really transparent and honest so that we can move into the next stage. Yeah, great. Well, well said, Nate. Hmm. So... Maintenance. This is what we we really want to see happen. We want to be able to keep her out of the sexual exploitation or him. I always want to remember um, that boys are being exploited just as much. Um, maybe not the same numbers, but but they are definitely exploited as well. While we're in maintenance, we're we're practicing new skills and um, we're learning how to respond to triggers. And this is something that is so important in maintenance because those triggers are things that um, will set a a victim who's now a survivor, set them off and often set them back. So 
if we don't recognize those triggers, then um, we may actually leave um, a survivor undefended, doesn't have a plan for how to cope with those triggers. So she might say things like, um, I can't believe I wasted so many years. It's like I never had a childhood. And that kind of thinking leads really to depression and it doesn't lead towards um, a future. So how do we how do we help her learn how to deal with that? And I think um, I think sometimes we aren't really ready to have that conversation with um, survivors. We we just want them to be all positive and moving forward, but they do have to figure out what to do with the lost years. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's part of, and that's just one example of, of a trigger. Another trigger may be, um, there's a story in the paper today about um, a bust where the FBI, it's not in today's paper, but this might be an example, um, and 105 um, children are scooped by the FBI and the innocents lost. And so now you're picking up your survivor to go to the small group and she's a basket case and you're like, what happened? well, I just think of all those boys and girls and I'm just, um, and, and she's like right back to when it was her mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah. And so the maintenance stage is a time when as, as the person walking with the survivor, listening and having that conversation, creating a safe place and making sure that um, there's a lot of affirmation. I'm proud of you. You're doing this and and then reminding them, this is what you've done so far. These are the steps you've already accomplished. Look how far you have come. And I love it when I hear a survivor say, I changed my life. I did this. And and they own the changes that they made. Because um, back to my bowl of tortilla chips and guacamole, I'm the one who decides to, as my grandpa used to say, bend, bend my elbow. Nobody forces me to do that. And it is my choice and recognizing how to empower um, a survivor in the stage of maintenance to yep. stay the course. That's really right. important. It's a great point, Sandy, into the tortilla chip analogy. You know, if if you, for example, rely on me to keep you accountable always for your behavior, that's fine as long as I'm there. But the minute I'm not there or not around, oh, yeah. then you go right back to doing what you've always done if you're constantly reliant on someone else to keep you in check and to help you to keep to transition and to be in a stable behavior and it's that's not healthy in the long run Mm-mm. not healthy at all no no so this idea of maintenance is also developing the self-reliance but you know the thing is in the beginning, I am kind of dependent, Dave, on you being around to remind me that, no, we're not doing the tortilla chips and guacamole. So when you took off and went out to Chicago, um, who was going to keep keep me accountable? Uh, then there may be the relapse, and that is the next stage in the stages of change model, relapse. And you return to an old behavior and abandon the new changes. And there's lots of reasons why it happens. It may be related to a trigger. It may be because the connections to that world are so strong. There is a sense of family 
and um, relationship. So the idea that um, he really loves me and he's going to change and now we're, we're going to get married, he's reached out, and or the sense of failure. Look at, I couldn't even manage when you were gone for a week. Mm. Um, so how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? So resignation, I, it's, yeah. it's not going to work for me, so I might as well just accept the way it is. It's too hard. And so as a as a um, someone walking as a friend of a survivor, as a as a counselor, as a social worker, um, I have to figure out how to say, okay, it didn't work. Let's start again. Let's start again. And we go back. Um, again, that's why I love to use the the image and we'll put this PDF up on the um on the show notes. I love to use the image of a circle that this is a st- cycle rather than a linear thing because otherwise you end up at relapse and there's nothing. It's yeah. like you have to start all over. But we don't have to start all over. We can just go back a couple of steps and that's going to look different for every single person. But Dave, if you condemn me and say, "Well, I tried and now you made your choice." and walk away, I'm going to forever be going back to the tortillas and guacamole. So how do you respond when I relapse? That makes a difference as far as what you, what you do or don't do in the future. And so this is, this is a, I, I think that it's helpful, Sandy, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of, I shouldn't say sometimes, I think it's always hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of a trafficking victim. Um, And at the same time, we can all put ourselves in the shoes of something we've struggled with as far Mm -hmm. as our own personal change. And so if we think about it from that perspective, so what's something we've struggled with to try to change in our lives and to do differently? And I think almost all of us have relapsed at some level often, even in that change process of really moving from one place to another. And so I think if we can realize how we've fallen into that pattern ourselves in those situations, that, you know, really it's no, it's not a lot different. It's obviously a very different situation, but the human experience of going through change is not that much different in a trafficking situation. You know, the stakes are higher, obviously there's, there's much more intensity there. There's a criminal activity but it is, but how you handle the change is in some way similar to how any of us would handle a change or, or trying to do something differently in our lives. And so I think if we can each do that for ourselves and realize where we've relapsed on things we haven't wanted to and how that's part of the process, it can help us to appreciate a little bit when that happens with a victim of, you know, that is part of the transition process to go from where you were to where you want to go. And when I think about this, uh, with um, working with a, a victim or a survivor, we sometimes feel like it's tough love to say, okay, if you don't do this, then. And I really want to caution people who are um, involved working with survivors. There are some that are um, in very um, case management, social work environments, others that are very informal, part of a small group at church. But don't make an if-then statement where you put yourself in a position 
of of making a decision that will um, end the relationship. Um, so don't say, well, if you go back, then you're not going to have a place to stay. You know, you can't come back to the shelter. Um, if if you keep making calls, then um, we're going to um, end the the training course that we've offered you. Don't don't make those if then statements. This is a hard change, and um, if by using your own personal experience with making changes, and there are some things that many of us have tried for years to change, and we still have difficulty with those issues, um, extend that same grace that you give yourself to this survivor. And I, I know it's really hard because we do have this idea that tough love is going to win many, many times. But I also believe that grace um, for ourselves and for the person we're working with is going to be a necessary ingredient. Because if I can't give her grace, do you think she can give herself grace? No. Can she be patient enough with herself? Because there is a sense of, um, if I can't do this, um, there's no hope. Yeah, great point, Sandy. Great point. And ultimately, to keep her, to keep him, to keep anybody and moving in a in the right direction, um, hope that it is going to change is going to nurture that experience and keep us on track. So when we look at the stages of change model, just to review, let's go back to the very first stage of pre-contemplation when you don't even recognize there's a problem that needs to be changed. How are you going to find out that you actually have a problem? And for for um, commercial sexual exploitation, a lot of times victims don't know that there's a way out of this. They just accept that this is life. So um, awareness and developing relationships in the community are ways for a victim to begin to see that, oh, there is something that not only needs to be changed, can be changed. So then we move on to the um, the next stage. Contemplation. So acknowledging that there's a problem but may not be ready uh, or sure of wanting to make that change yet. And and that is an important step of acknowledging that, you know, this maybe this isn't the path I want to be going down. Maybe this isn't the way I want my life to go. And that that awareness is a is a big piece of this. Well, and it's scary to make a change, even if you think it's from something horrible into something great. Uh, what if I'm a failure? Mm-hmm. What if I'm not smart enough to go back to school? Um, what if nobody um, loves me? What if nobody wants me? So that contemplation stage has a lot of risk for just saying, no, I'm not going to do this. Indeed, indeed. Then preparation, getting ready to change. And so we talked extensively about this on, you know, it's not it's not necessarily just showing up and rescuing someone that they may not have done the preparation work really necessary to get ready to not only handle the external realities of finances and, you know, where to live and all of that, but also just the, and perhaps even more so, Sandy, the mindset 
of am I ready for this change and can I visualize what the future would look like and is that something I can see happening and have I done the things to mentally prepare myself for that? And we have so many years of great examples in the parallel field of domestic violence when women are trying to leave um, a a violent marriage, Mm, a violent interpersonal relationship, and the they're very connected to the very person that is abusing them. And in this situation with commercial sexual exploitation, they're very connected to the person exploiting them. So the preparation phase is is about um, strategic planning, but also about um, changing their thinking. It's interesting you mentioned that because when you had talked about that earlier, I was thinking about some of the folks that we know who have done a lot of work in domestic violence and thinking about that question that is often posed to victims of domestic violence of why didn't you just leave him or, mm-hmm. or whoever. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is in some ways, although very different situations, there are some very, very interesting parallels there of, you know, why didn't you just, why didn't you just walk away from this lifestyle? You know, if you could have gotten away or if you could have moved on to something else. And it's way, 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 way more complicated than that. Well, and some of the books tell us that women it leaves seven to nine times before they actually totally disengage. And I think as we watch um, this field, um, the literature evolve, we'll begin to see some similar. So so if you're the person walking with um, a victim through this and you know, you're facing the third time she's gone back and you're about ready to wash your hands of the whole thing, um, think about that saying, well, maybe I could do it seven more times. Maybe I can do this seven more times. That that um, most exciting stage for us as caregivers and advocates um, is the action stage because now she's left that and the beginnings of changing um, behavior and lifestyle, everything starts here at that action stage. Mm, but look how much work went before it. Yeah, well, half the models before it, Sandy. Yeah. And so I think this is, I was going to say this here at the end, but I'll, I'll say this now, that the you know, a big part of this is also us changing our own mindset, that not one of these is more important. And, and you just mentioned, you know, the action stage is the most exciting. It's often the most visible, but it doesn't mean it's the most important stage. It is one in a series of right. steps throughout okay. this process. And so if that's the only step that's taken, it's not going to be a successful transition more than likely for this individual. They're going to relapse and they're going to, because they haven't done the preparation. They haven't, they haven't taken the time to really think through and do the maintenance work and don't have the support to do that. And so part of this is just changing our mental model that if we're going to, if we're going to be a person that is going to, or an organization that's going to serve victims, we're not just signing up for the action stage. We're signing up for the full path here and that if we're not ready to do that or we don't have the resources to do that, we may be best not doing anything at all until we figure that out. But to know that we are going to have maybe those six or seven or eight times that the person may go back or to relapse and to know that that is normal, that's part of the human transition process, that's part of the change process and and that that's not something that should scare us away as wanting to care for people and give them grace. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, that is quotable. That is quotable. Thank you. Um, as we as we wrap up, then the final two um, stages in this change model are maintenance 
where you have to continually support and nurture the change and reward the change, encourage, um, create opportunities to celebrate the change, and then recognize that relapse, returning to old behaviors, abandoning the new changes. These are common and they are not the end of the line. They are, these are just situations that will mean that now we have to go back to um, preparation again, or, or we have to go back, we're ready quickly to get back to action. And it will be an individual assessment um, for every, every person. The, the complexity of change is something we often accept for ourselves. We know it's hard to change our eating habits, our exercise habits. We are not nearly as patient with those around us who need to change. And, oh, I just slipped that word in, people who need to change. Dave, you need to change. I do need to change. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, but that, great. But that's a great, it's a great example because this, it you know, it kind of reminds me of how like whenever you walk, you know, we, we just don't give as people as much grace as we probably need to. Um, whenever you walk into a meeting and someone's late and you look at them and you think like, what is it? Why are they late? You know, what did they do to cause them? You know, why are they so irresponsible when anytime we're late for a meeting, there's a good reason, right? Oh yeah. So we right. give ourselves the kind of grace, um, to work through change, but we don't necessarily always give that to others. And so if we can, if we can, step back and look at this full process. Um, you know, I think that really does help us to take the good intentions we have and it, it make it a lot more likely that we'll have a positive impact with those good intentions out there in the world and working with victims. Well, and the reason I think that this podcast is so important is if you're going to be walking with survivors, you need to be prepared mm. for this process. Indeed. It is going to take some time. Well, and on that note, Sandy, you know, I hope that if you're listening to this and you work with victims or you know someone who is or an organization that is, that this is something you would share with them. And as part of our efforts to get more of this, um, of, of taking the time to study the issues so we can be a voice and make a difference is to uh, get this message out to more folks. And so you can help us by... Uh, letting someone know about this podcast who is working uh, with victims of human trafficking or interested in making a difference in this movement. And another thing you can do is to take a moment to go on whatever directory you listen to this show on, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, and take a moment to leave a review about this show that really does help the show to get more traction, more people to find it who are online searching for human trafficking, because we really do want to be a resource for people out there to help all of us to address this issue in a very proactive way. And speaking of being proactive and helpful to you, we are happy to do that as well. And you can reach us directly here at the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University by email at gcwj at vanguard.edu. Or you can always reach us also by phone at 714-966-966. 6360. And thanks in advance if uh, you have a chance to reach out. We'd love to 
hear that you're listening to the show and that you're part of the community. Sandy, it's always a pleasure. Uh, This is a great chat today, and I really look forward to our next conversation in two weeks. Me too. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Sandy. Take care, everyone.